All right, welcome back to the latest episode of Nerd Out. We've been a little bit of a off schedule of our normal agenda, but I am back and uh, I am Dave Pounder and I've got a great guest with me today. Uh, Dave Clark joining me all the way from the Pacific Coast. We usually don't get a lot of Pacific Coasters on the Nerd Out podcast here, Dave, but I, you know, hey, look, I think you got a lot going for you. Your name's Dave. We're in a good spot already. So w- <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Dave. How are you? I uh, appreciate you guys for for having me on uh, Nerd Out. It's uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, great. So, Dave, what, for everyone's benefit, obviously we talk a lot about a variety of topics, physical security. Uh, we get into some cyber stuff. We like to talk. Then we dig deep into some nerd MCU or maybe some Star Wars stuff eventually. But but ultimately, Dave, you know, why don't you tell us, start off with the audience and, and tell everybody a little bit about you, who you are, and, and, and what you're doing now. I, I think the easiest way is to say that I, um, when I, I took the position that I have right now, uh, I'm with a company called Factor. We do verified risk intelligence. I started finding podcasts in the subject because I wanted to see what was going on. And I discovered Gate 15 and the Nerd Out podcast because of uh, the conversations about uh, mis, dis, and malinformation were very appropriate to what I do. Um, love Nerd Out because, uh, like Dave Pounder, um, I have embraced my nerd and go public <laughs> with it. Unlike, uh, you know, back in the 80s, wasn't really uh, welcome. And now um, here in the 2020s, if there's a, only one good thing in the 2020s, it's that um, people with uh, off-center passions can uh, embrace those and talk about them. So what I, I, I work at a, again, I said this is, is factal. Um, and my journey there is, is kind of interesting because uh, once upon a time, I was an Arabic linguist in the U.S. Army, um, military intelligence as a collector. Um, and that led me to eventually go into journalism, where oddly, I, I worked in sports journalism. Somehow that led me here. And I think it's because I was online way too much. And I, I have a passion for figuring out what the truth is or what the closest to the truth is since sometimes you, the truth isn't discoverable, but we'll get really, really close to whatever that truth is. And uh, my military background has really uh, helped me out because uh, I took a, a long detour that kind of ignored that that past of mine um, through a bunch of industries that aren't really relevant to what we do these days. But uh, it's been wonderful to, to re-embrace kind of the Intel community, to discover the changes and to see that... Um, there's so much information available via OSINT that some of the the open source intelligence might not be all that intelligent. Yeah, it's it's it, that's great. Thanks for I mean, really great for the background. And, and we are going to talk about a little MDM here in a, in a minute here, um, because I, I think you're right. For as much information as out there, there's a lot of that that's not really reliable information and, and really challenging for us as security professionals to really sift through. I think we spend a lot more time nowadays uh, trying to find the truth than, than, than actually being able to find information anymore. Uh, you know, back in the days, uh, you know, going through the libraries, looking up articles and, and books and going through the Dewey Decimal System, which I'm sure many people don't even know or, or recall, it's, it was a lot harder to find the information you need. Today, you can get a lot of information. It's just not sure it's all, all truthful. But I do want to like go back to something you said about sports journalism. What, what part of sports journalism were you in and what were you doing? Uh, 
Well, it's funny. I thought I was going to go into combat journalism when I got out of the military, but um, all the traditional journalism courses were full. And so I wound up taking a sports radio course, uh, class in college, uh, took an internship, and then just kind of ran with it. I was a producer for uh, the night show out here uh, in Seattle for a long time, produced a, a program called Baseball's Best Postgame Show, the Seattle Sonics Broadcasting Network. Uh, boy, I miss them deeply. Um, and then uh, because of my military experience, I discovered a passion for soccer and wound up being a, a soccer journalist for, for quite a while, worked for both OL Reign and Seattle Sounders and Major League Soccer, both as a freelancer and then a, um, with the two teams as a uh, full-time professional. Um, it was fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot more fun to do sports journalism than it is to, to watch uh, – <laughs> To watch news journalism these days, uh, particularly the the news that matters. Um, I I don't kind of like uh, Andy points out pretty regularly on your other other ones. Uh, you, you getting into the the culture wars is only important when it impacts the safety of people. Um, I I used to argue on the internet all the time, and uh, every year I'm less and less interested in arguing and much more interested in finding ways to to uh, help people live better lives <laughs> yeah I, I think that's it, so cha i mean it's a great great point and um yes yeah, so it's, it's very interesting on on a lot of those areas just real quickly though are you a, so you're a diehard seattle sports fan then are you because look i have to share a podcast often with a, a detroit lions fan i just can't take it anymore but <laughs> if, if you're i mean i can i can i can live with the seattle uh crowd a little bit yeah, it, it's it's pretty much all all Seattle except for you know the NBA where it doesn't exist. Uh, yeah. I uh, I pay the most attention there to the Utah Jazz because the show host I work for is the radio play by play voice there. Oh, so if cool. I pay attention to anybody um, in the NBA, it's them. But everything else is Seattle. Um, you know, one of the joys about the military is that you uh, you travel all over uh, the country and the world. And in my case, uh, discovering everything else meant let's go back home. And yeah. uh, really embracing uh, the the love I have for for this region. Well, that's 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 very cool. So very very good. I really appreciate it. And so let's let's roll into a little bit of that MDM, and that's mis dis malinformation for for those un uninformed. Uh, but but really, it speaks to a lot of the challenges that we're having, and it's really grown exponentially in the last several years. Um, about the information that's being put out there and the tr the sources that we can trust. And, and there's a lot of the conspiracy theories. There's a lot of information that's available to us. And it's, it's really, there's no quality check or there's very little quality check on the reliability of that. And it really puts a lot of onus on the reader, the user to, to decipher through that. So it, we're in a very interesting time. I mean, obviously, we have the Israeli-Palestinian or the Hamas conflict going on right now. It seems like on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it by, or Instagram or wherever, TikTok, you're, you're seeing all sorts of images and information out there. It's very challenging to see what is true and what is not. I mean, obviously, this hospital explosion in, in Gaza was a very unfortunate incident, but Already, both sides are taken to the information warfare side and saying it's them, not us. It's them, not us. Here's the here's a video. I we don't know if it's true or not. So laying that all as a foundation, Dave. What what are your thoughts on like this environment now and in these information wars that are going on between parties? 
yeah, the information war is a really hard thing to to understand because uh, you know private OSINT professionals uh, don't necessarily have training in how to address the information warfare. Uh, what they do have to figure out is what's close to being true and what's going to impact uh, the organizations that they work for, or they work alongside. And, you know, we look at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I think one of the, the interesting misinformation points to me was uh, the insistence shortly after Israel had the false alarm about uh, air attacks in the north. They had uh, something like 200 air raid sirens going off in the northern portion of Israel, where the conflict hadn't spread at that point. And there was an, uh, there were immediately verified users on X, uh, formerly Twitter, as well as on Instagram and uh, the various uh, meta platforms, were sharing photos of what seemed to be paragliders coming in. Um, supposedly with Hezbollah affiliation. And it didn't take long for, for people that have been covering the conflict to realize that those were Hamas headbands, that they were in fact the same photos and videos that Hamas had released uh, about 36 hours previous during their actual era, the, the weird paragliding air assault that they did. Um, and it's just an example of how um, verified users, no matter the platform now, aren't really verified for their ability to tell truth yeah. on Twitter. The verification is because they, you know, you pay some money, whether your organization or the individual does on meta platforms, verification is more about your ability to trend and be a socialite, you know, and you see that on threads and on Instagram and on Facebook where, you know, yes, they have a check mark, but that doesn't mean that they're a truth telling journalist or military former military professional or a security professional it means that they're the individual that they claim they are and you see it on threads a lot where it's growing into a news platform but it's a lot of instagram influencers that are have check marks and that check mark mm -hmm. doesn't mean anything like not from an osint perspective right um and so i, I think that the move within you know professional um private intelligence collectors and analysts has to be to have vetted sources that you know and that you understand and that you trust. And um, and that means maintaining a catalog of vetted sources, understanding that they have a history of truth, understanding that they might be an expert in one field and really bad in another. Um, for myself, I, I have a, a Middle Eastern background, but I wouldn't post stuff about the Middle East now because it's 30 years old. Uh, mm. I spoke Arabic long enough ago that I've forgotten most of it. Like I can watch a, a sitcom and be okay, but that's not listening to radio chatter about bomb explosions anymore. Um, but if you wanted me to talk about, you know, the sports environment in the greater Puget Sound or American soccer, great. I probably deserve to be a vetted source there. You know, just as an example. And it, I think that that's a, a real big challenge because, um, You've been around, you know, the the corporate security organizations enough that, you know, these are tiny teams mm -hmm. and they don't have, uh, I, I, I chuckle because some of them are as small as the team that I served on in the military, but I also had another team and another team and another team and another, you know, a platoon and then a brigade and <laughs> um, the amount of support and, but that, uh, 
corporate security, whether it's a global security uh, operations center, um, one person in business continuity who's supposed to develop a plan for an entire multi-billion dollar company. Um, you know, the security guard manning the cameras can would love to have more accurate information, but they're, you know, corporate politics means they only get to look at the cameras. And now if you monitor Twitter to or X or Instagram threads, Mastodon, you know, there's like 40 social media platforms that you have to monitor all of them at once. It's kind of incredible. Yeah. It It's basically, um, it's not impossible, but it's a challenge. And um, that's part of what has led to so much misinformation and dis and mal. Um, and you'll see both, you know, uh, you mentioned in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, uh, the ADL actually put out a, a pretty good uh, facts versus myth thing that included some of the myths that are put out by Hamas. Like there are people that talked about there are thousands of Hamas agents active in the United States right now. And there aren't even thousands of Hamas agents active in the Palestinian territories um, and Israel. Uh, there are 30,000 total supposed fighters within the Hamas organization. So to act like there are tens of thousands in the United States is uh, it's just not real. And so the ADL covered that as well as stuff that obviously more directly connects to anti-Semitism that they're facing both in the United States and Israel. But it was interesting to see that fact sheet that they're releasing and updating regularly that addresses some of the the mythology um, that has been targeting um, not just parties that are violent against Israel, but also uh, Palestinians who are nonviolent and just trying to live. Yeah, so so many great points you brought up there, David. And I, I want to go back to one of the things that you said early on is is about you know just because you have a verified check mark or or you're validated on one of the platforms doesn't mean anything about your reliability. It means specifically that you paid either the sum or you have a certain number of followers or you're, you can be labeled an influencer or whatnot. And I think that's really important because as we look at what some of these platforms were, I, what I really loved about Twitter slash X, whatever we want to call it tomorrow, um, in the beginning was that I could get all of my news sources streamed into one platform and I could easily go through the headlines and look at it. As these things have evolved, my my feed now, and, and again, I'm not going to go down the, the Elon Musk route and whether this was occurring before he took over and, and, and afterwards as well. My feed became more about not who I was following, but the people who may be followers of those followers and, and somebody who may have a who have similar interests. But again, it doesn't speak to the reliability of the information, but so often we are depending on those feeds to say, to shape our, we have a five second attention span. I need to get the latest news. And I saw this image. I didn't do any of the research and analysis behind that image. I think in so many ways, we're becoming an uninformed despite having so much more information available to us. We're less informed about the reliability of things. We're less informed about the real drivers behind these actions and more informed about the, the clickbait, more informed through the, the activities on that part. So I, I find this to be very challenging. And the second part you brought up, which I thought was just equally as good, is on the corporate security side. I mean, 
five people at most you might get in some of these teams and they're expected to do all their other physical security jobs and all these other functions. And oh, by the way, provide a, re a daily readouts of the threats and environment. It's challenging and, and it does lend to how do I get my news quick and how do I just find the headlines real quick and I can pull those out. And I think we're missing that understanding and that analysis that goes in behind this, which is so critically important. So I, I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I, th I you know, there's challenges to collection, there's challenges to analysis. Um, one of the, the fascinating, for me, trends is uh, thinking back, you know, 20 years ago, everybody that worked in corporate security had either a law enforcement or a DOD background, at least within the United yeah. States. And now there are colleges with programs to educate that the expansion of people who've learned from the ground up who were a security guard that eventually grew because they showed initiative and understanding and developed what has become an industry that, um, or a sector that it helps civilians in, in specific ways. Um, you know, there are a lot of tools out there, but one thing that I like is that the analysis should reside with the experts at that, that company. That's just kind of one of my core beliefs is because they know, you know, whether it's a, a global coffee company or global aerospace or whatever, they're the ones that know what matters to that business. And well, some trend setting is, is handy um, to understand like global trends and those impacts and trying to predict like the futurists that predict what's going to happen in six months or a year. Um, I'm, you know, I'm biased. I, I, I work in collection. That's what we do. We collect the data and pass it on. Um, but I, I, I really think that refining the data inputs is important. Um, and it frees up uh, for the analysts to be those people that who know their business, who know their, their sector, um, and can take the information that is then vetted and react to it and use that to be the, the, the predictors. Um, the other businesses and other organizations find different ways. And, and if it's working, keep doing it. But if it's not working, find a new path. I think that's one of the, <laughs> there, there are a lot of tools out there um, to, to help you at all its stages from collection to analysis, to, to future proofing, to systems. Um, every, uh, I've, I've been working here for, almost two years now and the growth of documentation that's available and the way that people will help each other, even if they're not in the same business is, is rather impressive because uh, one of the interesting things in kind of the security environment is that um, almost everyone is just concerned with how do we keep people alive? Mm -hmm. And then number two, how do we keep our operations going? And, and in that order, because in the end, if if you're doing that in the private sector, um, that's the win. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's a great point because I, I do, I have found too on the private side that the information sharing between organizations is a lot more open. Obviously, you're not going to share, you know, the the dirty laundry, but but there is a lot more interest in sharing some of the those larger threat pieces. Um, you know, when I was in the army, just like you, you know, yeah, you know, we like to hoard our information together and we like we're the source of truth on some of that. And especially when you talk about uh, inner service rivalries, too. But but I think in the private sector, definitely for sure, 
there is a lot of great information sharing. And, and look, there are a lot of information sharing and analytics centers uh, across the organization. If, if For anybody listening, if you're not part of one, there's there's probably one for your sector. So look it up and uh, look up ISAC or ISAO and you'll find one. But, but great point in there. So you know, obviously the Israeli Hamas Palestinian issue is ongoing now. With that, are there any other? And we've got the twenty twenty four election coming up um, next year, which which if it's anything like last election and the election before that, it was good. It's going to be quite uh, right with uh, a lot of information or disinformation out there. Are, do you have any thoughts on? whether it's the election or any other areas that could be potential concerns for misdis and malinformation? I think with the election, one of the interesting things, and, and uh, y'all at Gay15 have talked about this a little bit already uh, in past episodes, is uh, the use of generative AI mm-hmm. uh, to create things that are just not true. Uh, it, it used to be that the political ad would splice together you know, through rapid video editing to misrepresent things that were actually said. But now with generative AI, it doesn't even need to be things that were actually said. It can just be a concocted position with no reflection of reality. And that is gonna place a strain on voters, um, especially on the hyper-partisan ones that uh, have been more active, whether it's uh, um, the accelerationist movement or, um, Antifa movements, whatever side it, it's on, those those hyperpartisan um, elements will be much more responsive to malinformation that uses generative AI, mm-hmm. um, and that could that could bleed into reality, not just what's online. Um, you know, it. I think that's one of the things that we've noticed now is, uh, particularly in the last several years, you know that. The old adage when uh, Twitter and Facebook were just ramping up was it's just online, it doesn't matter. And I think we're seeing very much so that uh, people's behavior online doesn't actually change much from their behavior in reality. If they're extraordinarily rude people online, bordering on violence, they're going to border on violence. We know um, that's a threat actor indicator. You know, Insider risk professionals can look at social behavior online and tell you that person is a risk to the company or to their their friends and family. And malinformation will fuel that. The malinformation around uh, the US election will fuel that. Uh, we've seen it in other international elections where uh, generative AI is a li- little less common, but um, it's going to be used and it's going to be used in ways that harm not just the political opposition, but um, a greater swath of America than just the the red v blue uh, ballot. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point, and it's so interesting when you think about uh, some of this stuff. Is is you know if you look at any particular issue, you're going to have you know fifteen to twenty percent on each side that are hardcore. You know they're they're firm believers. They're deeply your base. I mean, if you want to look at political parties, you could even say maybe it's thirty percent. Then you're fighting for the middle ground. You're fighting for that middle batch. And that's where I get concerned about with some of the MDM is, is 
just the slightest little tweak is enough to potentially influence one of those independent voters or independent people who would normally be on the sidelines and and now they're shifting and that's and that's a win for that particular organization that you're you're fighting for and i think the other part too is is the the mistis and malinformation to that extremist side that hardcore side it could be enough to push them over the edge where they're just angry online to now I'm angry online and I'm actually, I'm so angry. I'm, I'm going to cross the proverbial, you know, line in the, in the sand and I'm now going to take action on it. And and that's what I worry about with some of the, the conflict in the middle East right now is something like this hospital attack. And, and again, regardless of what side it was on, somebody from the other side is going to be potentially motivated or influenced by all this information overload to potentially take action. And I think that's from security organizations and professionals. You need to be really careful about like that one event exploited enough or or uh, through misdis or malinformation could be enough now you have a physical security threat and i think that's a really big concern um, yeah and i think i think we saw it even before uh the the hospital incident you know um so far the only uh u.s uh on u.s soil death uh, related to the conflict was uh a gentleman who had died so deeply into the misinformation related to the conflict that he attacked one of his renters or multiple of his renters in uh, Illinois. Um, and it was misinformation that fueled the hate that led to a tragic crime. And we will see, unfortunately, um, more of that, not less of that as more people spend more and more time online. There's more and more time to see that. Um, and I, I think in some ways, uh, the ability to reduce your coworkers' exposure to um, the type of MDM that leads to violence is going to be um, a positive for an organization. The, the anticipation for the day of rage last Friday which came to basically not pass um, was something that concerned a lot of security experts, but um, there wasn't a heavy indication. You know, the FBI and the ADL were both saying, uh, we see no indication of, of threats on US soil, but the posturing was such that people were anticipating it. Um, and so the, it's a hard line. You have to both be prepared for the worst, but also, want to minimize and uh, properly represent to the people that you're responsible for protecting their level of risk. Because um, you and I know this, you can't be in a wartime posture every single day of your life, every hour of that day. Uh, our, the human brain isn't set up to respond well to that. Uh, heck, that's part of the way that MDM spreads is that once the brain starts thinking that everything's a threat, um, the misinformation and malinformation out there becomes more threatening. So you have to find a way to um, be realistic in the level of risk that's available, um, keeping people informed so that they're safe, but not dialing it up so much 
that um, they feel like they can never be safe. Right. We see that uh, it, in cyber. Uh, people take so many tests now that that's become routine and uh, they don't actually learn anything from the cyber preparedness. People start to tune it out. Oh yeah, I took that last year. It's fine. I'm, I've got it. I'm under control. And they don't do the updates because um, again, that, that constant posture of, of a wartime or a security footing that you're never able to relax from, um, you can't handle it, whether it's online um, MDM, it's cyber, it's physical security. If you think that everyone is at conflict with you always, um, you will crumble pretty rapidly. I mean, we see that um, it, even soldiers get to go home once in a while. Right. Yeah, yeah great point. I mean, really great points. And so as if we want to wrap up this the kind of segment on MDM, do you have any thoughts on like things that above and beyond security organizations, but just as individual day-to-day -day users of social media platforms, news outlets and such, any thoughts or any types of, you know, I guess, best practices that people should go in on that front? What, what are the, some of the things that you practice when you look at stuff and, and anything that we can send to the larger community here? Yeah, you don't have to be a professional journalist to, or um, ant collector or analyst to, for some of these basics. So, number one, pay attention to local sources, people actually physically on the ground. Uh, for photos uh, and video, look for multiple angles of a specific incident. I, I think back to the fake Pentagon explosion back in May. Yeah. There was only one angle. <clears throat> and that's a pretty good indicator if it's in that common of a spot. If there's only one angle of the photo, it's not, it's probably not true. Look for people behaving as they normally would in the region in photos and videos. That's another one that came up in that Pentagon explosion. There were no people. And uh, that's one of the most crowded spaces. <laughs> like, there are people constantly there. Yeah. There are no people in the photo is a good indication. So those are some local sources. Um, and then uh, develop people that you trust and see what they're right about have a personal info bank that tells you that just like when uh, you probably have a movie reviewer that you trust or a music reviewer or a video game or whatever you whatever you do for fun there's reviewers out there who you're like this person and me get along you should have a similar bank on that for the news that matters to you whether that's local news international news the topics that you love um you know there are seattle area media that i know uh, I can trust in their Seattle area me media that I'll spend a little more time reviewing what they write before I retweet it, repost it, reshare, whatever the proper language is on the social platform. Um, and it should be the same for any news that matters. It's hard to do at scale. Like if you have to do that for an entire company, hundreds and thousands of sources, probably impossible. Um, but as an individual, do all that. And then I think it's Andy that always talks about, you know, you're responsible for what you retweet, for what you share. Yeah. And one of the one of the best ways to to reduce the MDM is think about it before you hit that like, that share. Just spend if it takes you 30 seconds to read it, spend the 30 seconds thinking about is this true or not? Um and just slow it down. I think we saw that a lot with the the uh the hospital bombing disaster. Um, because 
no matter who did it, that is a disaster of epic, like a major disaster. Mm-hmm. And the rush um, on social media was immediate to assign blame. Before there was video, before there was photo evidence, before officials were willing to go on record. That's the other thing is uh, uh, my my final bit of advice for when you're analyzing whether or not media is true. If it's uh, officials not willing to go on record, slow down because there will be one soon that's going to go on record with their name Um, because that is one of the indicators that uh, journalists and, and other collectors use for whether or not it's true. That's a good way to vet it. If I'm Dave Clark and willing to say, put my name to something, that has value. Whereas if I pass a message on to you that says, hey, you can say this, but my name can't be attached to it, that's somebody acting for influence. And right. um, so those are the key. And just to go over them again, develop trusted sources that you believe, analyze the photos and videos based off of uh, multiple angles and whether or not they are typical for that space. And then um, that third point just now was trying to make it concise. Uh, that that third point was uh, slow down and analyze it to see if somebody's willing to put their name to it. Yeah, all, all great points. I think that's absolutely right. I think in this effort to, for some reason, you know, I've seen people just like everything they just like like because then they'll be their pictures will be like then on return and and that'll somehow mean something to them in in the grand scheme of things and like let's just be real i mean we we do have that responsibility uh if we're going to promote or share or retweet something uh, whatever we're calling it on the social media platforms you know that you're, you're putting your name to it you're signing up to that and so make sure you're thinking of it that way i mean so all, all great points so I really appreciate that discussion, Dave. You did not disappoint on that. So let's transition to maybe a little bit more fun uh, for this last segment here. Um, You have professed that you're quite the, uh, you you know, you're into a little bit of the the nerdy stuff that we didn't have, you know, maybe not want to come out of those closets before. And, you know, I think I'm pretty good on the MCU part. I'm I'm a Star Wars fan. Um, I'm a big, you know, I like the fantasy genre, you know, I like the, the Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings stuff too. I, I haven't had the opportunity to share that with anybody on a podcast in a while. Andy is, has abandoned me on some of these fronts. So so what are your preferences out there? What what are you listening to? What are you watching? Uh, what are the things that are you're interested in? Uh, yeah, so right now, uh, the the two fantasy shows I'm watching the most are I'm spending a lot of time on Wheel of Time. I think the second oh, yeah. season yeah. has uh, developed the characters much better. Uh, the first season uh, took some departures from the books that I wasn't expecting. But now in, in season two, I like what uh, Rafe Judkins has done with the plot line. And um, that's a series of books that I didn't finish. I got faded out on them when I was in the army because uh at novel nine, I'm like, is this going to go on forever? So I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm hoping that he, in the TV show, we can just get to the end because yeah. I don't, I'm six novels that are each probably about 600 pages long uh, behind. So I'm, I'm really interested to see him do the story. The other one is a sci-fi show, The Magicians, um, yep. that came out um, kind of bridging the pandemic. They filmed the, the final season during those uh, 
heightened uh, pandemic restrictions that Hollywood went through. And it's kind of funny as somebody who who's works in a field where we're telling people what's going on with those restrictions constantly. Um, I can tell the difference in the film because uh, the scale of the scenes gets a lot smaller and yeah. like it's two and three people together. And you're like, oh, I know why that's happening. It's because <laughs> uh, they couldn't get the big crowd scenes. I mean, we saw that a little bit with uh, Rings of Power uh, in right. yep. season one um, of that one too, where uh, you're like, this should be a crowd scene. And it wasn't a crowded scene. It was like three people in a, what was supposed to be a busy city plaza. And you're like, ah, yeah, a little bit of uh, reality interfering with the fantasy. Um, and then I don't do the DCU because uh, so yeah. many of its modern interpretations are about misery. And I think I watch the news like professionally. Yeah. <laughs> I, I that's part of why I like the MCU over the DCU is because it, it's predominantly been about hope. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why its message has resonated so much better is because those hopeful nature, um, you know, th this was the real date when or this last week was the real date when the uh, the Battle of Earth in, in Endgame was supposed to happen. And that was a great rallying moment, you know, to see Cap say, you know, Avengers assemble finally after so long um it's been disappointing um this phase whatever they're in right now um <laughs> predominantly because one of the things i loved about it was everything was connected yeah and um we've missed so many of those connections that they don't go crosswise they all go back to the previous um hawkeye has been my favorite of uh the modern or the the current wave um I uh, I might like him a little bit better because I think the the realism connects, you know, he's just a a dude that's a sharpshooter and is willing to tough it out and take a lot of physical abuse. And I dig that. That reminds me of uh, the the guys I served with. Um, I had the honor um, when I was in, um, I was in fifth group. And so I served alongside the 18 series and Hawkeye reminds me of their attitude because they will do, you know, the do whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I get fascinated by that because I could see that same environment in the, in the people that I loved at that time. Um, they do that, you know, whether or not it was a superhero or a supervillain, they do whatever it takes, even, you know, even if they're overpowered and overmatched. And so I think that's probably why he's my favorite of the MCU. Yeah, I think good, good, good things. What did you think of Rings of Power? Where did you land on that? I, I like that they're doing something new because I've read those books multiple times. Yeah. Um, I am a, uh, I like grounded fantasy, um, and and Tolkien is some of the best at that. I don't, I don't like high high fantasy with magic everywhere. Um, it was too slow. Um, and one of my biggest problems with it was the, uh, there were episodes where like some of the plot lines just disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. Like you'd go like two episodes and be like, where are those like proto hobbits at? We haven't seen them for two hours of television. Right. Are they significant or not? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, they're the biggest, they're the biggest portion of this. And it's like, so I think that it struggled with pacing. Um, I didn't mind the changes from the books. Uh, the, I'm, I can't pronounce it right. The Similaron or whatever uh, isn't really a book. It's like yeah. a bunch of random thoughts. 
So right, I was gonna say it's not really a connected thing there, but yeah, right, right. Yeah, I, I'll I'll watch season two. Yeah. Like it was it was good enough to watch season two, but uh, it's not it's not going to be, you know, uh, Peter Jackson's uh, trilogy. It won't hit like that. Yeah, I I I I I liked it in the in the respect of I I I tolerated that the first season might be a little rough because I was hoping that the second season, like a lot of the stuff would actually start working in the second season, the way they ended season one, I was pretty optimistic. I'm hopeful, but if it, if it's kind of like the same thing, what you were just talking about is a lot of the plots were a little weird, disjointed or just missing over a period of time. I would probably fade out of there, but I I'm, I'm, Try not to build up too much hope that season two will will pick up a little bit more than than the first season did. So I'm trying to knock on wood on that. And, and to to your some of your other points too, I think on the MCU stuff, I I, I loved in so many ways how it was connected and the stories were building upon it. But now I think it's so connect. Like I think everything now has to have like five connection points, and it doesn't. It doesn't allow for that one stand like why don't we just have one standalone movie where we build a character and develop that character and then maybe in in another movie you bring that character in i don't think everything not every movie has to have some sort of pathway to some larger thing i think that's it's gotten too confusing in that respect so i i get a little frustrated with that because look i mean if you look at the mcu those characters are important, but the DCU had the better, like Batman, Superman, who get like, those are the top two of the top three or four characters of all time. And they've been miserable other than the, you know, the, the Chris Nolan trilogy, which I love. I think that's widely known, but the, but the other ones like Iron Man, I never read Iron Man books growing no. up, but yet Robert Downey Jr. was, he, he made that character. You have to find the right actors to do that. And, and I think they just developed it. So, you know, I'm watching Loki. I'm I'm hoping, you know, I'm watching some things here and there. But I, I am, if I miss something now, I don't lose a whole lot of sleep over it anymore. So, yeah. Whereas like four or five years ago, you'd be like, I got to get caught up because it's, it's really, it's all tied exactly. together. And now it feels like work. Yes, like, that's right. I don't, exactly I don't want right. to put labor into my entertainment. I want to yeah. be entertained. Um, you know, it's a movie. It should, or a TV show or a combination of both and, and turning those into these kind of participatory things have reduced their interest for me. And yeah. I'm a fan of like genre fiction, but yeah. you shouldn't remove what's fun. Yeah. From it. I, I feel the same way a little bit about where Star Wars is going. You know, like I love Star Wars, but now they're trying to make it at all these interconnections, like the Ahsoka show. Yeah. The what, you know, look, they tried to do it. They tried to make it not so much on the comics, but there you had it. You, you, there are characters that were brought up there that if you didn't know the five seasons of Rebels, then you're in trouble. And so um, it, it, I, I just wish we would just be able to tell stories and not so worry. Like if they connect at some point in time, that's a great, you know, growing up, there were those crossover events, you know, like like uh, ER would cross over with friends or something or or facts of life would cross over with, different strokes or whatever that would be. And, and those were, those were fun when it happened, but it, it shouldn't be the whole basis for the whole story. So I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. And Star Wars, I think that's part of why Andor was so good 
Oh, you, right. you didn't even know anything about yeah, that's right. And and that's part of what pulled it off uh, very well. Uh, I think Rogue One, um, you could watch Rogue One and have no knowledge of Star Wars and the story is wonderful. It's awesome. Uh, it's one of my yeah. favorites. I, I actually, if people that have made it this far in the podcast, if you haven't watched <laughs> Andor yet, but you are working in some kind of security, you can watch that just as like a security professional. Because yeah. I was watching that. And I'm like, well, that's what the jailer is doing wrong right there. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was pretty <laughs> obvious. You're like, all right, that's a security flaw. That's a security flaw. He's not watching the cameras. And it, it was very interesting to watch it and uh, having dip back into um, an Intel field um, or Intel adjacent field. Uh, yeah, I, I will tell you, you right on there. Rogue One and Andor are two of my favorite Star Wars. I'd put it up there with anything else. Um, uh, Empire Strike behind Empire Strikes Back, but other than that, they're up there for me. So, well, Dave, this has been awesome. This has been a lot of fun talking with you. This has been a lot of great conversation discussion. I'm definitely going to want to bring you back onto this podcast. I'd uh, love to have you back on, especially as we get into next year and how see some of these things play out. Uh, but thank you so much for uh, coming on and sharing some of your nerdness with me. I, I, I definitely need it from time to time. <laughs> so my pleasure. I, thanks. Uh, um, usually at the end here, I, I give all our guests the opportunity to, we call it the P2 plug or promote anything on your end, anything you want to call out, anything that, you know, where, where you're at on X or on any of the social media, anything you want to plug? Uh, you can probably best way to find me from a professional capacity would be on LinkedIn. Um, because if you find me on other social media, it'll be a lot of uh, soccer and geek talk, not not <laughs> much of uh, the MDM and, and um, private intel type of stuff. And then I'm going to, you know, I haven't really talked about it, but I'm with Factal. We're a verified risk intelligence company. Uh, go to factal.com or blog.factal.com and you can find out more about what we do. And if you ever want to get in touch with me and you can't find me on LinkedIn because Dave Clark is an extraordinarily common name. Uh, Dave Pounder can pass my information on to anybody. Yeah. Great, Dave. I, I really do appreciate it. Yes. A lot of great stuff on LinkedIn and, and uh, really do appreciate this time. So with that, everybody, I'm going to wrap this up and, and again, encourage you to check out the gate 15 series of podcasts that we have. Um, we have the gate, the security sprint podcast where Andy and I go weekly through uh, the security news, try to hit on some of the things you may have missed or dig a little into some of the topics that are out there that you may want to call attention to. And then we also have Andy's gate 15 interview that'll come out next week. So be listening for that. Uh, but with that, everyone and Dave, I want to thank you again for your time this afternoon. Um, and with that, everybody, I will bid you adieu.